so I hope everybody out there is having a, a good day. Figured I'd go on with my tale, my life story here a little bit more. So I think where I left off was I was talking about the incident involving the deputy um, not wanting to respond, knock on the door of that house. So I, at the time I was working at a factory over in Winchester, and I knew that the factory wasn't going to be probably wasn't going to be around forever and I wasn't going to be able to retire from there it really wasn't what I wanted to do so I started trying to seek a way out of the factory work uh, something more into the lines of what I wanted to do I saw an ad one day in the paper to uh, become a member of the West Virginia State Police as a cadet so I thought ah, what the heck I've always kind of wanted to pursue a career in law enforcement didn't know if I'd ever make it be able to pass all the tests, make it into law enforcement, but I applied anyway. Well, that was pretty short-lived. About a, I guess it was probably about a month after I sent my application in, it came back and said you were denied due to not being qualified at the time. The state police required applicants to have either a four-year college degree or honorable discharge from the military, prior military service. I didn't have either. So... I thought, well, that's not going to work out. So I applied to the Charlestown Police Department, uh, went through that process, got uh, made it to the background stage, and the lieutenant who was assigned to do my background basically stopped the background and rejected it because, rejected me because I had, at the time, was being civilly sued by my own aunt regarding uh, my grandpa, grandmother and grandfather's land that she was a part heir to. Uh, found out later that I got the lawsuit against myself dismissed. But that didn't uh, help my situation with Charlestown PD. So that ended that. So then I applied to the Berkeley County Sheriff's Department. When I believe I made it on the civil service list, uh, in the meantime, I guess probably about a year had transpired, and uh, I went in, I told my wife at the time, I was 29, 28, and I told my wife, I said, I was considering, seriously considering joining the Army. So I actually went in and talked to the recruiter, uh, took the ASVAB, scored decent on that, told the recruiter that all I wanted to be was a military policeman, I didn't want to do anything else. So after he tried and tried to convince me to do, pursue another MOS, another specialty in the Army, he finally said that he got it cleared with his captain. He could offer me a position as a MP in the Army, even though I had two kids. However, he did caution me with uh, one bit of advice. And he said, whatever you do, don't get your wife pregnant. Two kids is the maximum uh, the Army will allow a private to, uh, when they enlist in the Army, two kids are the maximum allow, allowed uh, children a private can have when they enlist in the Army because you can't support uh, a family of more than two kids and a wife on a private's pay. That's basically what he explained to me. And he told me, he said, look, man, whatever you do, don't get your wife pregnant. Well, there was more to the story that we didn't know at the time. Because my wife was already pregnant. 
with our youngest son, Corey. We didn't know it. Uh, so when I left the office that day, the recruiter's office, and there in Martinsburg, he told me, he said, whatever you do, don't get your wife pregnant. Call me this coming Sunday to make sure everything's still on track. I said, okay. So that was in the beginning of that week. Sometime later that week, uh, Tanya had taken a pregnancy test, and we found out, well, she was pregnant. Well, we were pretty sure of it. So when Sunday rolled around, and I had to call the my recruiter. When I called him, I told him. And the first thing, when I called him and told him I had some news for him, the first thing he said was, well, just tell me you, did, your wife, you didn't get your wife pregnant. You behaved yourself, right? I'm like, well, he goes, oh, come on, man. You, you didn't. I'm like, sir, she's pregnant, and apparently she already was when I came in to see you. So he said to me, I'm sorry, buddy. I can't help you no more. We won't take you with three kids. I'm not even going to try to contact my captain. So it's a no-go. So that left me with more decisions to make. What am I going to do now? I've already been turned down by the state police once. I was on the list for Berkeley County Sheriff's Department, but it had been, I'd been on there for several months, and they never called me any, anymore. So I figured that didn't pan out. Charlestown PD didn't pan out. So now what the heck am I going to do? So I guess it was probably a month or two later, my father-in-law had uh, got the paper and was telling me, he's like, hey, the state police is hiring again. I'm like, he's like, you ought to apply for it. I'm like, no, nah, I already did that last year. That didn't work out. I'm not a veteran. I'm four years of college. I said, that's not going to work. He's like, well, it doesn't say you need four years of college. and It doesn't say you need to be a veteran. Why don't you apply? I'm like, well, I guess I can. What's the worst? What's the worst going to happen? I get turned down again? That wouldn't be the first time. So I applied to the state police. Round two. Sent my application in. Wasn't really expecting to get any um, invite to come test. And actually probably should back up and tell a little bit more about when I was at the factory. So when I worked at Stay in the Door Systems in Winchester, uh, it was an inside factory. We manufactured pre-hung doors, steel entry doors, onto frames. Everybody, with the exception of me, not everybody, but most of the people inside there smoked. The place was really dirty and dusty. Had a lot of stuff floating around in the air all hours of the day. We worked 60 hours a week in there. 10 hours a day, six days a week. You never got more than Sunday off unless you took a vacation day or you had a sick day and you could only use so many of those. As a result of that, plus I believe I probably had asthma when I was younger and never diagnosed. I was diagnosed with asthma. So I went to a doctor. The doctor put me on some medication and Told me, he's like, look, go do this for six months, and if you're not any better, then we'll proceed other avenues. Well, I did it for six months. I took the medication, did what he said, and went back to see the doctor in six months, and the doctor's like, I got great news. Your asthma's in remission, which was a good thing when I applied to the state police because if they would have discovered that I had asthma, 
if it would have been active when they gave me my physical, it probably would have been grounds they probably would have rejected me or seriously thought about rejecting me. But anyway, so back to applying to the department. So I sent uh, my application off, and I got an invite to come take the physical agility test and the written test. I believe they gave us like a two-month period to prepare for that day. I was already in training, and I was running about three miles a day, three to four days a week, uh, doing probably about 100 push-ups a day, 100, probably around 100, 150 set-ups a day. So I was trying to prepare myself for the physical agility test when I got in. So I went down and I took the physical agility test and the written test. I passed both. So I've advanced to the next parts of the process. So eventually, I think when I applied, there was, this was back in early parts, spring of 98, there was around uh, three to 4,000 applicants for one, basically 100 cadet spots. They wanted to have one large class of 100 cadets. Well, they found out later on that was too much. So they wanted to reduce the size of the, the class. So they split it in two classes. But by the time I made it to the physical test, or the actual medical physical test, I think there was still probably about 600 of us in the process out of 4,000. Got down to the final parts of the process and got a letter saying, congratulations, you've been accepted into the Western State Police Academy as a cadet. This is the date you need to report on. These are the things you need to bring. Uh, don't bring anything else. Make sure you bring the things you were told. And don't be late. So, started getting all my equipment together. They do provide. They did provide equipment after we were in the academy for about a week. But like our exercise gear and all, we had to bring some of that with us to start off with. Good dress clothes, you can never leave the hill without wearing a uh, nice shirt, pants, dress shirt, pants, and a tie, a necktie. You can never come or go from the hill without wearing that. So when the day finally came, um, everybody was upset because I knew I was going to be going down to the academy. They never told us we would come home on the weekends or we could. So as far as I knew, I was going to go spend seven months without seeing my family. I'm pretty sure they never told us we would be home on the weekends before I left. But regardless, I had uh, a six-year-old son, a three-year-old son, and a three-month-old son. Our Ronald, Ronald Jr. was the oldest, Travis was the middle one, and Corey was the baby. When I left in October of 98, and I actually had to, we had to report on the 25th, October 25th, 1988, which was a Sunday, about 12 o'clock. And we didn't get sworn in till the next morning, October 26th, 98. And about 9 a.m. the next morning when the governor came over to swear us in. So the first, uh, the first day I was down there, we didn't get paid for none of that. So that was just donated one of many days and hours that I would, I would end up donating to the West Virginia State Police. 
in the state of West Virginia as a West Virginia State Trooper. Sunday, October the 25th, 1998. Well, that's a day that I'll never forget. Uh, as long as one of many days that I'll never forget as long as I live. That was the day that I was told to report for duty at the West Virginia State Police Academy. After two attempts to get in, this was my first attempt failed. This is my second attempt. Uh, worked at a dead-end job at a factory. Uh, they worked us like dogs and treated us worse. So I wanted to make something better of myself. I wanted to try and make a difference, not only in other people's lives, but in the lives of my own family. Because uh, obviously the support and uh, blessing of your family is only second to the blessing of God. That's God and Jesus. So anyway, I showed up at about 1130 that morning. Now, I lived in Berk. We lived in Berkeley County back then. The State Police Academy is an institute uh, just on the other side of Dunbar. And from Berkeley County, driving with a personal vehicle, driving the speed limit, it's about a six-hour drive in good weather. So I left that morning uh, probably around, from what I remember, around 530 and started down the road. Uh, so I get down there. I parked in the parking lot where we were told to, and I grabbed my bags. And I walked down the hill to the academy. Went in the glass double doors, which would be the last time I ever went in and out those doors until I'd graduated from the academy and became a trooper. Went in the glass double doors, found, I believe it was classroom three we were told to report to. So went inside, found a desk that had a placard on it with my name on it that said Mason. R.W. Mason, and I sat down on the seat behind it, and I waited, and there were some other people coming in, so I guess it was right up, right on the dot at 1,200 hours, 12 p.m. that morning, or at noontime, the classroom doors flew open, now pretty much, I think all of the cadets that were supposed to report that actually showed up were there. So nobody was late. There was three or four people that never showed up at all. So that brought our starting ranks out to like 44, 45, 46. We were supposed to have 50 in the 47th cadet class. So the doors fly open and in comes four sergeants, three or four drill sergeants. And the first one, Looks at everybody. Of course, we all jump up. The first one looks at everybody and says, Who in the hell told you dumbasses to bring your luggage and your bags into my damn classroom? You dumbasses, get that shit out of here. So, we never been anything like that. So, the first thing we do is grab our bags and run out into the hallway. Well, he didn't tell us where to take our bags. So, we threw them down in the hallway in a pile. We all had our names on our bags. At least we were told to put our names on our bags. So we knew whose was whose. And we ran back into the classroom. So then the drill instructor yells at us again, get on your face and start doing push-ups. So we're under the desk, chairs over top of us, drill instructors running around screaming in our ears, making us do push-ups. And I guess this probably lasted for about an hour. 
And then they stopped. And one of the drill sergeants went out, came back in and said, who the hell told you dumbasses to put your bags outside? So get out there and get your damn bags out of my hallway. So now I'm thinking, what the heck are we supposed to do with our bags? We didn't have a room assigned yet. So we run back out of there and get our bags. He comes out and tells us uh, where to go to find our room assignments and what building to be in. We were in the top of C building, which is right above the classrooms that we were in, classroom that we were in. So we run up there and find our find our bedrooms. They had organized us, arranged us in alphabetical order. Since I was in the middle of the alphabet, I was in a room with three other guys that's last name started with M. Uh, there was two bunks per room on each side of each room. Two, two sets of bunks, two beds per bunk. There were bunk beds hooked together. And then there was four closets in each room, stand-up closets, one for each cadet. And that's where we were supposed to store all of our gear, our uniforms, our clothes, and everything else. So we had no clue what we were supposed to do whatsoever. It was just a big game of you do something and whether you did it right or wrong, they're going to yell at you. That's part of the game. Now that first Sunday, the first day there, or evening, night, whatever you want to call it, call it what you will, we were issued some equipment. Basically, um, all they did was PTS into the dirt. Uh, physical training, into the dirt, tried to push us past our limits, tried to run off the people, that the cadets that obviously weren't really invested in the program and really didn't want to be there. I'd quit my only job. My wife worked part-time. She was mainly a housewife and a mother while I was the main breadwinner at the time. So I'd quit my only job at Stanley Doors. And took quite a pay cut even to enlist in the department. I didn't have nowhere else to go. I didn't have a college education. I was a bricklayer by trade before I went to work for Stanley. So I had to make it work. This was it for me. There was nothing else. So I couldn't leave no matter how bad the time got, no matter what I wanted to do, how bad I wanted to go home. I knew I couldn't leave. I had to stay. But I can remember... That day, them PTing us well after dark till probably about 10.30 that night. I remember there was a one guy in my class. His name was Brad. And boy, they were just giving him pure hell. And I didn't know. None of us really knew. I mean, I don't think anybody else in our class knew Brad. I had never met him before the day we reported for, for the academy. But apparently Brad's father was a major in the West Virginia State Police. And I remember hearing one of my drill sergeants saying, I don't know who the hell you think you are, but just because your daddy's a bigwig in this department, that don't mean shit. You're just a speck of shit on the bottom of my shoe right now. And you're going to do what we tell you, how we tell you, and when we tell you. Do you understand? And Bradley chimed up, Sir, yes, sir! So... It wasn't until later when that actually happened 
I found out, you know, hey, he must be related to somebody in the apartment. And they wanted to make sure he knew he wasn't getting by on his daddy's good graces and the name of his daddy being a major in the department. I didn't have that luxury. Nobody in my family was in law enforcement. And nobody probably after me will be in law enforcement. My youngest son, he's not with us now. Um, he's in heaven. Now, I'll touch more on that later on once I get down further into my story. But anyway, they they told us, I guess it was probably about 22.45 or, or 10.45 p.m. that night. They told us to go up, shower, and rack out. get to, Hit the racks. Get to bed. Lights out at 2300 when they played taps over the intercom. So we all ran upstairs, got in bed, got showered, got cleaned up, got in bed. And they actually let us go to sleep at 11, which we were surprised. We thought they were going to keep us up all night. But the night was just beginning. So we, I don't even know how much I even slept. I think I just dozed off of probably about 12, 20 or so when at right around zero one hundred hours sharp, there was a loud racket in the hallway and it was our two drill instructors. D and E, Sergeant D and E, our two drill instructors waking us up. And they were throwing trash cans and beating on trash cans and lids hitting the walls with billy clubs, telling everybody to fall out into the hallway. Well, we're still in our T-shirts and underwear. So they, we all fall out in the hallway, standing out of tension, and they start making the rounds down the hall, and they're checking every room, making sure everybody's out of the rack. Well, you got to this one room, this one cadet. I think his name was Gonzalez or, or something of that nature. Started with a G. So they get to this cadet G's room, and the one sergeant walks in there, and the next thing we hear is, Holy shit! What the hell? Son of a bitch is in here in his rack. And the one sergeant comes out and comes and gets the other one and says, You gotta come see this. This dumb son of a bitch is still in his rack. Come here. So the other sergeant goes running down there, and of course, Cadet G is just a sawing logs in his rack. And he's got two drill instructors screaming in his ears, Get the hell out of bed! So finally, of course, we weren't allowed to really turn our head and look because we were holding a position of attention at the entire time. But we, I could see out of the corner of my eye, this kid come dragging his ass out of the room down at the end, near the end of the hallway. And it was Gonzalez. And man, they were over him like flies on shit. Screaming in his ears yelling as loud as they could in his face. The poor guy looked like he was about ready to cry. He was having a bad night. Well, that wasn't all of old Gonzalez because he had more pain coming in the very near future. So poor old Gonzalez, the first night, his first overnight in the academy, first night in the academy, he got caught by his, our drill instructors still in his rack. And there were some other people that had some issues, uh, myself included, which I believe happened that Tuesday of that first week. Uh, we were uh, up in our rooms. We had been sent up to our rooms for inspection. We were standing out in the hallway, 
And when drill instructor came down, he called us into each room, each four cadets into the room, while he proceeded to check the contents of our room and the manner in which we had hung things up, our clothing, and the way our racks were made. The racks were never made to the satisfaction of the drill instructors. That was part of the, the head games and the monkey games they played with us while we were in the academy. But I do remember reading the manual, the policy and procedure manual, before I got to the academy, because we got them right after I got to the academy. Read it some of that first day. And it said in there that cadets are to identify themselves as cadets or cadet troopers. Well, I made a big boo-boo on that one. So we get called. We're, we're standing outside of our bunk room, outside of our bedroom, at attention. And the sergeant comes down the hall, steps into our room, yells out, Who the hell's bedroom is this? Get in here! So myself and my three roommates, we all went in, running into the our bedroom. Sir, yes, sir, it's our room. What's wrong, sir? So the drill instructor opens the first uh, standing closet and says, holy crap, this is a wreck. Who the hell's damn closet is this? And me and my infinite wisdom meant to say, Sir Cadet Trooper Mason, sir. However, when I said, right after I said, sir, I forgot the cadet and said, Sir Trooper Mason, sir. And when I saw that, the collar just left the sergeant's face. Looks at me, Are you shitting me? So now you're a damn trooper on day three. Start knocking out push-ups, you dumb bastard. And you keep doing them till I get tired. So now I'm on my face knocking out push-ups, and it's day three of the academy for a stupid slip of the lip, which I will never forget. I think when I got to about 125, he told me I could recover. I know it was well over 100. He told me I could recover, which meant get back up and get back in attention. Uh, so I did that. But yeah, he even called in the other drill sergeant and said, Sergeant, guess what we got here? We got us a trooper. A trooper on day three. Do you believe that shit? Yeah, that was a bad day. A bad day. of One of many for me there at the academy. So Wednesday, Wednesday morning, we got up. They always got us up at 525. Well, that was morning revelry, but they would sometimes keep us up all night. But Wednesday morning, we'd been in bed for like an hour and Reveille went off. We rolled out of bed 525 to start our morning PT. We did our PT. We came back. We got showered. We got dressed in the Class A's. And we went down. Well, we didn't have Class A's. I'm sorry. We got dressed into our dress clothes, I guess it was, because we didn't have Class A's yet. Um... It was it was our dress clothes. It went down is in uh, either our dress clothes or our PT gear. It could have been our PT gear that we bought from home. But anyway, we went down to the cafeteria. Or went outside while they raised the flag. We raised the flag. Then we marched into the cafeteria to eat. We ate our breakfast. No talking. You get like ten minutes. That's if you don't have kitchen PT duty or KP duty, kitchen duty. If that wasn't your detail. 
if you did that your detail, you get even less than that. So you get about 10 minutes to get your food, get seated, and wolf it down. However, you fill up tables by the order of the way you come into the cafeteria. And if you're the first person at the table, you have to stand until the last person gets there and you all take your seats at the same time. You don't go in and sit down by yourself or if you're the third guy in there and sit down before the sixth or seventh guy or eighth guy, however it is at your table, takes a seat. So you wait. So that eats up about five minutes. So you really get about five minutes to wolf your food down. Now granted, it wasn't the best food. Far from it. Some of the stuff was pretty bad and almost uh, inedible. But I will say this, when you're starving and you're hungry and you're working your ass off all day long, and that's all you've got to eat? Yeah. You'll eat it. You guessed it. But anyway, back to the, the fun stuff. So so I remember uh, Wednesday morning after we ate, morning inspection was 0800 sharp. You had to have all your details cleaned, straightened up. Your room's cleaned up. Well, they couldn't be a mess anyway, but sometimes the drill instructors would go through and tear them up for you just to make you work to clean them up. And your bed, your racks, that all, all had to be made neatly to their specs and you had to be standing at attention in the hallway well later on when we got class a's we had to be in our class a's in the hallway at attention but we didn't have class a's yet so we hadn't went over procurement supply so anyway we're all out the hallway oh 800 hours well at least i thought we are we all were we all thought we all were however poor old cadet gonzalez that sucker must have had narcolepsy or something we didn't know it, but he was in his, at the, they had desks in the rooms, four desks, well, a big table with four chairs for desks for the cadets to do classwork at when you had time to do classwork, which we didn't get very often to spare time to study or anything. But anyway, he had come back from his meal break from breakfast, had sat down at his desk, and he was snoozing and I sawing away on them old logs and guess what here come our two drill instructors door flies open down the hall they come and they're eyeing everybody up and they're looking in the rooms and they walked all the way down and I heard the one drill sergeant say who the hell's missing here of course he knew how many people we were supposed to have he knew if we lost anybody throughout the night or the day before so he knew he had a head count and when he got down in front of Gonzalez's room, Gonzalez wasn't standing out there. So now the sergeant's like, what the hell is going on? And he went in there, and there was old Gonzalez just a sprawled out on his desk, his, his table, in his chair. And the sergeant came out and told the other sergeant, come down here. My gosh, you got to see this come down here. Oh, Gonzalez is a damn sleeping beauty. He's a sleeping away at that damn table. So the other sergeant went in there, and now they're both cussing this guy. So after probably five minutes of both drill instructors screaming at the top of their head, and Gonzalez finally comes out into the hallway again, still sleepy, still knocking the sand out of his eyes, the sleep out of his eyes, and both sergeant are just giving him to him mercilessly. He's on the floor doing push-ups. He's in the iron chair, which, oh, that's a that's a fun exercise there, the iron chair. 
I'm sure any of my fellow law enforcement brothers and sisters out there have been through the academy know what I'm talking about, and I guarantee our military veterans know. The iron chair, so for all you people that have never been introduced to that wonderful mode of exercise or method of exercise, basically what you do is get, you put your back toward a wall, and you lean your back into the wall, and you slide down the wall with just using just your legs to hold yourself until the top parts of your legs, your thighs are parallel to the floor, and then you hold that, and you don't stand up, and you better not fall. And my DIs were notorious for loving that method of physical training or and what I like to prefer to call personal torture, um, physical torture for the cadets to do. And there was times we would do it for several minutes. Your legs start burning pretty quick, your back starts hurting, and eventually you either got to stand up or you're going to fall. Usually you fall because you don't want to stand up. So usually your legs goes out from under you. And then the sergeant's screaming at you to do something else, like push-ups for punishment for you falling. So anyway... Poor old Cadet G, he uh, he had a rough Wednesday morning, but his night wasn't over. His day wasn't over. So later that night, uh, we were out on the parade ground, and we were doing PT. We were doing push-ups. And the forward-leaning rest position is what we were in, I believe, which is another nice form of torture. So basically, it's a push-up with your elbows, Instead of your hands, you get your elbows on the ground and your hands are under your chin, holding your head, and you keep your back straight. You don't let it drop, you don't come up, and then your butt's sticking up in the air. It's basically a modified hold-in-place push-up, for sake of a better word. And I do remember I was in front of B building, so the academy is a U-shaped building. If you're facing the U, facing toward the academy, from Academy Drive there, where the statue of the Lady of Justice is at, and the, mon the memorial, the monument up at the end of the courtyard. If you're facing the Academy and you look to your left, that's A building. There's classrooms in the bottom, uh, in the basement. There is a laundromat down there where we drop our laundry off and stuff as well. There's a library. It used to be a library down there. It used to be a little museum down there when I went through. Now, this has all changed now, but the top floor was dorm rooms, and the bottom floor, the remainder of it was dorm rooms. Uh, the end of it was also where the commandant of the academy's office was, the captain, the man, the head cheese, the man that ran the show down there, which is usually... Historically, it's usually someone that only spent a couple years in the field and somehow made it to headquarters. And years later, they, they put him as in charge of the academy. But that's another story for another day. But anyway, the middle building is B building. And that's where there's classrooms in the bottom. The female dorms are up top. The medical unit used to be up top. And there's also sergeant's offices for the drill instructors in the bottom. And then the wing to the right was where the cafeteria was on the first floor, uh, the executive conference room for when the colonel came over for meetings when he was over there eating. Classrooms, 
and sergeant's office is on the first floor. And back room storage area for the kitchen, for the supplies and all. Then the second floor of that is all classrooms. And that's where my cadet class, the 47th cadet class, our dorms were out on the second floor of C building. So, but anyway, we're, we're out on the courtyard and we're in the lovely front leaning rest position. And I could happen to look behind me, down under me, and I could see Cadet G. And he's back near the doorway going into the B building, which is just outside the window of one of the sergeant's offices. And there was two sergeants. Our two sergeants were over top of him. There might even have been two sergeants, I think, that were there training the basic class that was in when I came in. They were over there screaming at this guy. And they were just telling him, you need to get the hell off our hill. You don't deserve it. You shouldn't be be here. You don't want it bad enough. Just tell us you want to quit. We'll make sure you get the hell off our hill right now. Well, he took it for probably about an hour. And I know it was somewhere around 8.30 or 9 o'clock that night because we had been out there for a couple hours. They really didn't start in on him until about an hour and a half, hour before he finally said, I'm done. And he stood up. I knew he stood up and he walked off. I couldn't hear what was said. But we found out the next day that he had quit that night. And they ushered his ass off the hill. Because he obviously didn't want to be there. And there was, we lost some others that first week. But the drill instructors found out pretty, pretty early on, within the first couple of days, who wanted to be there and who didn't. And I was one of them that wanted to be there. I had nowhere else to go. I couldn't just quit. I was either going to make it through, I was going to fail miserably, or they were going to carry me off the hill. So I didn't fail miserably. I didn't make it through, but I did get carried off the hill later on in my academy training.